Good morning. If you want to turn to your pew Bible, it's on page 469. It's going to be starting with Psalm 42. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep as the, at the roar of your waterfalls. All the breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song was, is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thanks, Mark. Let me encourage you, if you haven't turned there already, to turn to Psalm 42, and we will look at both of these psalms today. It is page 469, as Mark mentioned, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. I remember watching Michael Phelps in the Olympics Remember, I think it was Beijing, I think it was Beijing, where he was winning, I think it was eight medals or something like that. remember watching that and just being amazed at how, what he was accomplishing there. He is the most decorated Olympian of all time. Um, I mean, when you do that, I mean, I mean that, that's pretty good bragging rights at any party you go to, you know. It's like, you know, what have you accomplished, you know? Well, you know... Uh, you know, I made the varsity basketball team in high school and everything. Oh, that's good. What about you? You know, about 20 gold medals, you know. Uh, okay, all right, I'll be quiet now. Um, so, you know, Michael Phelps is an incredible athlete. But there's this documentary, I haven't seen it, I've read about it, that it's called The Weight of Gold. And it features, it interviews uh, various Olympians who discuss, uh, you know, going on, uh, you know, in the training and going their entire childhood of, of, of just training for the Olympics, because they didn't really have normal childhoods um, at all. Phelps says this apparently in, the, in that documentary. He says, we're just so lost. A good 80%, maybe more, developed post-Olympic depression. I thought of myself as just a swimmer and not a human being. And that's where I, when I thought, why don't I just end it all? Depression is very, very common. Very common. 
And this is going to be a topic actually in the sermon series in the fall that we're going to get to. We're going to talk about anxiety, depression, and things like that. But this psalm, I wanted us to spend some time as we're going through this summer, uh, you know, a time in the psalms throughout the summer here. I wanted to bring up certain psalms that you could just earmark and you can just go to. And so when there's a moment at times of depression and discouragement, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, that's got to be marked in your Bibles, okay? And so you want to mark that down and you go to this psalm. We're going to talk about that today. Now, these psalms, uh, by way of introduction here, they were written, as you saw in the title there, by the sons of Korah. If you remember when, I, when we introduced this sermon series, we talked about how that there's 12 psalms that were written that are ascribed to the sons of Korah. This is a Levitical family, descendants of a rebel leader whose name was Korah. Um, and, uh, but his children were spared of his judgment uh, when he died in his rebellion here. One part of this family the, the, of, of Korah became temple doorkeepers and guardians. And another part became singers and musicians in the temple choir founded under David by Heman. Um, and there was other directors in there. Uh, Asaph, you'll see that name as well in, in, in the Psalms as well. And this really comes from these, these tribes here, okay? So when it says the sons of Korah, this is really the people, this is, it was a song or it was a meditation that was written for people to pray through. Some scholars say that this was written on behalf of David and David just uh, chartered it. If you remember, we talked about how there's five books in Psalms, right? This is actually the beginning of book two. More, uh, we're going to see more uh, uh, of uh, the Psalms not written by David in, in book two, although David will have many of the Psalms in there as well. And so um, we're not really sure if David commissioned it or not, but it could definitely be something that he would have done. One thing that scholarship is almost absolutely unanimous on is that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 in our Bibles, they were actually originally one Psalm. And somewhere along the line, it got divided up. And we're talking, this was a long time ago. We're not sure why or when that that happened, but there's a lot of evidence that just points to that there is one psalm here. We're going to treat them as two because that's the way it is in our English Bibles. But um, there are some ancient manuscripts that treat it as one. And the lack of a title in Psalm 43 is unusual. Um, and so this, in, the, in the theme, it just works together. Also, you'll probably notice uh, one of the verses is an exact same. It, it appears twice in Psalm 42. So one verse in 43 appears in verse 40, or chapter 42 or Psalm 42. So it gives you a little bit of background here. This is probably just one that we're dealing with here, okay? All right, background information is out of the way. Let me give you kind of the thesis of what I'm hoping to communicate with you today. And then we'll pray and we'll dive in. Here's what I hope to communicate today. Psalm 42, Psalms 42 and 43, takes the mask off spiritual depression and provides a path to joy. Psalms 42 and 43 takes the mask off of spiritual depression and provides a path to joy. This is why you have to know where these psalms are in your Bible. You're going to go through a time of depression. You're going to go through a time of discouragement. you got to go here. Okay, Psalm 51 is a great place to go to when you're overcome by sin and want to repent of your sin. When it comes time of depression and discouragement, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Let's pray. Father, we're going to spend some time talking about this, these two psalms here for the next few minutes here. God, I pray that I would communicate in a way that is faithful to the text here. 
I don't want to insert, you know, my own uh, ideas at all. I, I, I want to teach what this text is teaching. I need your spirit to guide me in that, and so I pray that that's what happened. God, I pray uh, for those listening, whether here in person or online, uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would remove distractions and that we would be able to give proper attention to your word for the next few minutes here. God, we want your spirit to work in a way that only you can do. And we want it for your glory and honor. At the end of this time together, may we have a greater appreciation of you, a love for you, for your word, and that we would have, be more in awe of you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So let's talk about unmasking spiritual depression here, first of all. here, And, and what I want to talk about here, when I'm talking about spiritual depression, what I want to, I, I, I just want to make sure that I, I'm, I'm not, uh, overlooking something here. There, there, I'm going to talk in a few minutes about how the body has a role in this as well, okay? There are sometimes, there's some forms of depression, and I'm not a medical doctor, okay? Don't pretend to be one, but medicines do help, okay? And so I'm not going to focus on that because that's not my area of expertise, okay? So the, but I just don't want you to hear by me not talking about that that I'm denying the existence of it, okay? Are we clear on that, okay? I just want to make sure that I recognize that in any time of depression, we're going to talk about how we need to look at every area of our life. Physical is part of it as well, okay? But that's not my area of expertise. My area of expertise is in the scriptures. And this idea of that's why I'm putting the caveat of spiritual depression there. And so I, I think that that's where we can focus our attention at today. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. Unmasking spiritual depression. This is really what's going on here. I mean, we see this in the text. We see that this, this person who's writing this out and is pouring his heart out before the Lord, you can see that there is some, some absolutely down times in his life. And, and, and let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of it. First of all, spiritual depression can be chronic, okay? Just look at the pattern. I don't know if you noticed this in the text here, but there's this pattern here. There's a lament in chapter in Psalm 41 through 1 through 4. But then verse 5 of, of Psalm 42 is hope, okay? And then verses 6 through 7 is lament again. And then verse 8 is hope again. And then Verses 9 through 10 is another lament. And then verse 11 is hope again. And then we get into 43, 1 through 4 is all lament. And then verse 5 is hope again. So you see this in these two patterns, these two psalms, this pattern of lament and hope, lament and hope. And I think what's being communicated there is that much of life is a roller coaster, and we're going to go through seasons of encouraging times and then dis discouraging times. There's going to be cycles in our lives where we go through times where we're just more down spiritually or discouraged or even depressed, and then there's going to be times of hope. And, and, and I actually find actually some encouragement of that, that you can almost plan on that. You can almost see that, okay, this is going to happen here. So we shouldn't be surprised when there's times of spiritual discouragement or spiritual depression in our lives. I'm not saying we just accept it, but I'm saying we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be surprised by it. And I think that's part of the problem for many years is that we've been afraid to even admit that it exists. When someone asks us how we're doing, you know, we, we feel like we have to say we're doing good. We feel like we have to say that we're doing well. We feel like we have to say that things are okay. It's hard for us sometimes to be transparent. And I get that. I mean, we can't be transparent, completely transparent with everybody. I, I, I understand that. But we should not be surprised when there's times in our lives when we're feeling 
down or we're feeling discouraged, okay, or even depressed. There will be times of this expected. There's going to be peaks and valleys. In fact, after many times of things going really well, there's going to be the valley. Remember the prophet Elijah? Remember the story of Elijah. Remember the story. I've told you this before. You can read about it in your Bibles as well of how that he and there was these, these uh, other prophets of the God Baal there. That, and they were uh, having this competition, if you will, of, of whose God is going to show up and who was the true God. And, and maybe you'll remember this. you remember how the, that, that he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to see which God can bring fire down from heaven. And so the gods of, or the prophets of Baal went first and, and they were they were getting this altar set up for it, and they were doing all sorts of things to try to get their God to bring fire down, and, and Elijah's, you know, mocking him over there, and I, and I, I don't know if that's right or wrong. It's in the Bible, so I don't know, but um, it's kind of funny when you, you see uh, um, him talking about this and saying, well, you know, you got to be louder, or maybe he's asleep, or maybe he's busy, or something like that, and so finally, that doesn't happen. And so Elijah says, okay, now it's my turn. And so he has him soak the altar with water. And he says, okay, God, true God of heaven, send fire down. And sure enough, whoom, comes down. Takes out the whole entire uh, uh, offering and the, all the waters around it, everything is just gone. Whew. That would have been cool to be there. That would have been really cool to be on the sidelines of that, knowing how it ends, right? That would have been awesome just to be like, just can't you just imagine you just got like some popcorn on the side and then your friend's like, oh, watch this, watch this. It's coming. In fact, we should probably step back, okay? <laughs> right? You know? And then you can imagine when Elijah's like, okay, it's my turn. I can just imagine them pulling sunglasses out and putting them on. <laughs> it's coming. All right? You know, it's just going to be a really cool moment and it comes down and then it's just just awesome. God, so we prayed and God answered and everything. The very next scene with Elijah is he is depressed and he's discouraged. You see, he thought God was going to use that to change the whole scope of, of the national landscape of, of, of Israel. He thought because it was a bad king and queen at the time and he thought that they were going to, uh, uh, that they were going to repent and turn to God and when they didn't, he says, God, where are you at? What are you doing? And he was discouraged. So my only point of this is we can parse that out and we can analyze all that. But the, the, the larger point I want you to walk away with today is just expect that times are going to come. And don't be so shocked by it. Because I think that's part of the problem is that when we get so shocked by it, we get ashamed with it. And then we don't deal with it correctly. So there's going to be times of spiritual discouragement in our lives. And so it can be chronic. But there's another aspect of it, and this is what I talked a little bit about earlier here. I mentioned spiritual depression tends to be holistic. And what I mean by that is mind, body, and soul are all involved. Look at the text here. So we saw the pattern that gives us this idea of chronic, but look at some individual verses here. In verse 4, he says, these things I remember. They say to me, people say to me, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Mental game here. The mind is engaged. These things I remember. Verse 3, he says, my tears have been my, have been my food day and night. What is he saying there? 
He's saying that um, uh, uh, he hasn't had an appetite. He's saying that, that he, he, he's been so overcome by this in this discouraging times that he so wants to be in the temple praising. And for some reason, he can't be there. Various theories of why doesn't really matter, but he can't be there. And so he's so longing to be there, so longing. That's from verse 1. As a, as a deer pants for uh, uh, water, so my, my, my soul thirsts for you. And, and the metaphor is important there, right? I mean, a deer doesn't last too long without water. He, it would have kind of been lost if he said, you know, as a camel is in the desert about water, so my soul is after you. No, it says a deer, and so he needs us, and so he's discouraged. It's affecting everything about him. He's losing his appetite because of the discouragement. Mind, body, and even soul, verse 4, he says, as I pour out my soul. Every part of our lives are interconnected. It affects each other. Our health affects our spiritual condition. Our spiritual condition affects our health. How we think affects our health. Our, how our, our health, uh, our, our physical health affects how we think. I mean, all of these things. And again, I'll put it in here in case you missed it earlier. There is a category for medical intervention here and things like that. I, there is, okay? I just don't, that's not my area. So, but we have to be recognizing, though, they have to recognize that mind, body, and soul are connected. I remember seeing this, learning this truth on display. I think I've shared this story before, you, and, and I know my wife would be okay with me sharing this story. Yes, okay. All right. She has no idea what I'm about to say right now. We were helping get ready for, uh, it was right after uh, the earthquakes in Haiti, and we were gathering all this, uh, the light bulb went off. Okay, all right, so uh, we were gathering all the supplies and things like this, and we were going to go down and send a bunch of supplies down to Haiti, and we were working uh, all day, all morning, and so we hadn't eaten in, like, all day. And I remember um, saying, okay, we should probably get something to eat, or Nook was telling me we got to get something to eat, one of the two, I can't remember. And so we were, we were literally driving out of the church driver where we were serving at the time, and so I said, okay, um, and she was, she, she had lost her joy, <laughs> okay, patience, okay, another one. And so, and, and so she had said, I said, I said, well, you know, where do you want to eat? She's like, I don't care. Now, I had been married long enough to know that there may have been truth to that, may not have been truth to that. So I needed to ask again. I said, okay, so, so does this sound good to you? And she said with, like, clenched teeth, I don't care. Now, you would think that I would have learned by then, okay? So one more time as we're driving, I said, well, there's this restaurant here. What about this? And she's like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, we went in. Now, I'm not making fun of my wife when I say this. You all know how much I love her. I've done the exact same thing to her. But I remember just thinking, boy, she is really, you know, she's, she's not in a good mood here. And this, is, this, is, this isn't good, you know. So, you know, I'm preparing a sermon in my head and so we sit down and we go to eat and everything and I will I'm, I kid you not I kid you not she starts eating and I saw her change <laughs> m m just 
totally changed, I mean, caterpillar to butterfly, right in front of me. I mean, I watched it as, as calories and carbohydrates filled her body so joy came back into her life, you know. And I looked at her and I was like, you know, are you okay? And she's like, I just needed to eat, you know. So now I always keep bars around. At, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So, so, but the key is here is that this happens to me too, right? I could easily have just turned that around and made it about me, right? It's just more fun to make it about my wife. So, but, but we talked about it, but that actually happened, right? Again, what's the point here? Is that was, what, 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 are we right to bite someone's head off when we're hungry? No. But there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a reason, there's a contributing factor there, right? Okay, all that to say is that mind, body, and soul are connected here. And so when we're looking at this, we see this in the text here. So when you're walking through times of discouragement, you've got to be thinking through these categories. You've got to be thinking, okay, it's not just, okay, I need to pray more, I need to memorize some verses. Of course you need to do that. But there's also a physical component that you need to consider as well. Talk to a doctor, right, okay? But key is here, we go to God, okay? We go to the Lord here. Our soul, he pours out his soul. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, um, uh, Spiritual uh, Depression, which is, I, I highly encourage you to read this book. Uh, it's called Spiritual Depression by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's, a, it's an older book, um, but he was a medical doctor and also a pastor. And he wrote this and talked about spiritual depression. It's really, really helpful. One of the things he talks about is the importance of or the, the, the reality of temperament. He says some people, and it's true, some people just, their temperament leads them more towards introspection and discouragement and things like that. It doesn't make it wrong. It just has to be aware of uh, that it affects our entire bodies and beings. Okay, I need, to, I need to move on here. So those are some symptoms. We could have talked a lot more about them. This is not exhaustive. I'm just trying to give you some things from the text to think through here. What about some sources or where do you think it might come from? And again, uh, uh, I just want to look at the text here and, and we can see what was going on in this person's life here. In verse 2, we have this, this sense here. He says, um, when shall I come and appear before God? What is he talking about there? He's talking about how he wants to go to the temple and worship. He wants to be there because remember during this time that this was the temple was the uh, unique presence of God's or a unique place of God's presence right here. So what he was doing is he was sensing God's absence in his life. Look at verse 9 of 42. After uh, uh, he's praying before the Lord, he says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He feels that God has forgotten him. And, and, and then when you look at uh, 43 verse 2, for God, you, uh, are, you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Do you see the, the progression there? You see how they, he wants, why can't I go to the temple? Why can't I be there? I'm longing for this. Why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? And we see this progression here as this person is going through this. Spiritual depression is the sense that God is absolutely silence. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You're pouring your heart out to the Lord and he just seems like he is gone. It seems like the prayers don't make it higher than the ceiling. It just seems like he's just gone. I, I've talked to so many people. I've felt it myself. This is where we get into discouragement and depression sometimes. Sensing God's absence. There's another one though is Hearing the opposition's mocking here. 
We see this in, back in 42 verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? The people around him were mocking him and saying, oh, yeah, life is good for you, right? Where's your God now? Where's he at now? Verse 10, the same idea of 42. As with a deadly wound in my bows, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? 43, 1 and 2. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me for... You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Should I switch to the handheld? Okay. Okay, so um, he's he, basically the, the opposition's mocking him there. And again, you say, well, that doesn't happen to me a, a, a whole lot. I don't have people mocking me and, and saying that, you know, where is your God? But, but you do. We live in a culture that is very much so against God, very much so against the presence of God, and very much so uh, uh, saying, okay, where is your God here? And, and then when you see you have a longing for people, for longing for culture to turn their hearts towards God, and when you don't see that happen, in fact, you actually see them getting bolder and bolder against the, the, against the presence of God, against the idea of God, against the values of God. You see this in, in the things they put in our entertainment. You see the things that they put uh, all around us in culture, how it just becomes more and more common and more and more normal for God to be absent like the idea of just living and just living as if God doesn't even exist. We get pressured into that. And don't ever, please, please, don't ever underestimate the power of culture upon us. And I'm not calling this that we need to go live on the top of a mountain someplace. That's not my point. I'm just saying we just need to be aware that culture has an influence on us. We need to resist that. And so while you may not have someone knocking on your door and saying, hey, where is your God, and mocking you, you live in a culture that says, hey, where is your God? That gets discouraging at times. And so this person here who wants to be in the temple, he wants to be worshiping God, and he can't be there for whatever reason. And, and, and maybe he's in exile. There's a lot of theories on that, but we're not told. And so whatever the reason is, he can't be there. And, and on top of that, he's got enemies who are mocking his faith. And he's getting discouraged. But then there's another one. Another source here. Seeing our own failures. This one's tough for me. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then verse 9. We see here. Uh, or actually, uh, uh, yeah, verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? He's asking himself these questions here. Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? 43, verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Why does he keep asking the same question over and over again? Because he's disappointed in himself. He thinks, why? this shouldn't be affecting me. He's, like, he's basically saying, why is this happening? And why is it so much that I can't, why am I so weak here? And that's causing him to get further and further down the rabbit hole. This is tough. I see my own weaknesses and I see my failures. And sometimes I say, man, why, why do I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I think that? 
How come, why does that have so much control over me? All these questions plague me, and I think to myself, why is this? It can, if I'm not careful, it can lead me to just getting discouraged. Maybe you, you feel that way. Maybe you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, and I'm not talking about looks. You see beyond the skin. Let me just encourage you that this song is very helpful for us. Let me just encourage you to say that, that these, these texts here, and I'm taking some time to set up why this psalmist was feeling this way, and it was very difficult for him because I think more of us struggle with this than we'd care to admit. So these are just some of the sources here. Now, I told you that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 unmask spiritual depression, but they also give us something. They give us a path to joy here, and that's what we're going to look at here in the last few minutes that we have, this path to joy. Joy, this path to joy, it involves speaking, remembering, asking, and hoping. We're going to look at each of those. Speaking, remembering, asking, and hoping. First of all, this idea of speaking here. This is the path to joy. Back in 42, verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And he says this in verse 11, also in chapter 40, or Psalm 43 as well. Here's the key point here, is that we really need to stop just listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. You say, well, that's paradoxical. I don't mean it that way. But think about it. Is that sometimes we're just listening to the thoughts that run through our minds, the unchecked thoughts that go through our minds, the things that are like, well, you know, I bet no one else struggles with this. You call yourself a Christian, and you do all these things. Remember, we have an adversary, and one of his roles, what is he doing right now, is he's accusing the brethren, right? And he does that before the throne of God. But I also think that he brings things into our lives to remind us so that we remind us of our shortcomings. And so what we really have to do is the path to joy, and this is what this, this psalm uh, writer is talking about here, is he's saying, I'm going to start, instead of only listening to myself, I'm going to start talking to myself. Remind of truth. Remind uh, of, of what is right. Remind what the Bible actually says here. And again, the fact that he has to keep doing this means that it's a continual thing. Remember, this goes back to the chronic nature of spiritual depression. A lot of times we like to think that we give ourselves this one big pep talk. You know the movie scene? You know that movie scene of when... The coach goes out there, and, and, and all the players are losing, and the coach gets the team around, or maybe it's a team captain, whatever, and he gives this rousing speech, and they go out and they win the game, right? And we think that that's the way it is in life, and it's not. We have to keep speaking to ourselves. We have to keep speaking biblical truth to ourselves. This is why you need to know your Bibles. This is why you've got to be in your Bibles. This is we've got to be speaking truth to ourselves. So instead of only listening to our thoughts, we've got to speak truth to ourselves. This is the path to joy. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, this gets into the next one, this idea of remembering here. Remembering here. This is uh, remember all these things. We see this coming up here. So like verse 4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. He says, I remember. And then also he says, he remembers that he at once time had a time of, of unhindered worship. And he remembered the joy. Remember those times. And so when those times of spiritual depression come, 
and we're being accused in our own conscience and everything, we go, of course we repent. Of course we go to the Lord. And so we, we ask God to forgive us of those things. But after we've asked God to forgive us, it's, just, it's not a light switch that goes off. We have to remember the times of what it was like to walk with Christ. We have to remember the times of, of that joy that we had. Remember those moments. Remember that time where it was like you didn't want anything to do with sin because it was just repulsive to you because of your view of God. Go back in your mind to that and say, okay, I'm going to remember these times, and I'm going to speak truth to myself. I'm going to say that this is how I want to live, and I want to, I want to rest in Christ. And yes, I have failed, and yes, I have I've committed these sins, but I'm going to rest in the fact that Christ has forgiven me that is the path to joy. So we speak truth to ourselves. We're remembering things. Remember God, verse 6 here. He says, uh, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. This is why you have to have a robust view of God. And re- what, what do you believe about God determines how you live your life. And so we have this person that says, I remember you. Even though my soul is being cast down within me, therefore, I'm going to remember you, God. I'm going to remember his work. I'm going to remember his covenant. I'm going to remember his promises to me. Verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song goes within me, a prayer to the God of my life. At night, when we feel the most alone. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's when we go back to God. That's when we remember him. That's when we pray to him. You see, the author here longed to be in the temple. He longed for his circumstances to be different. This was the unique place of God's presence during that time. He wanted to worship God. He wanted that. But it was impossible for him. So he had to rely on his memory to sustain him. So this is why we do what we do here. This is why we have children's programs like Awana and Children's Church in Sunday School. This is why we have Adult Discipleship Bar. This is why we spend large amounts of time preaching in our service to, uh, uh, like this. Is because we want people to be fortified in the truth and know this truth so that when it, memory is the only thing we have, we, we're alone. We don't have anyone around to remind us. We can go back to what we've studied. This is why it's so important to be in your Bibles. This is why it's so important to be reading and studying the Scriptures. This is one of the reasons why we do our catechism. It's to remind you of biblical truth, right? This is why the Apostles' Creed is helpful. And this is the reason why there are creeds and there are confessions of faith. And let me encourage you, read through some of these creeds. Read through some of these confessions of faith. In the sermon... In Church Center, in the app, uh, under Sermon Resources, I link to several uh, creeds or confessions of faith. Let me encourage you to look through that. Now, again, there's going to be um, uh, some uh, uh, areas of theological disagreement and some of those, namely in the area of baptism. That's fine. It's okay. Just, just, just read through the vast majority of it you're going to agree with, the vast majority of it, and just understand and be refreshed and renewed in, in, in what we believe about God because in those moments of spiritual discouragement, that's what you have to rely on. Have you ever had at times of, uh, of a time of spiritual discouragement, and, and, and you open your Bible, and it just seems like it's a rock. It seems like there's nothing there for you. That's when we got to rely on our memories. That's when we got to coach ourselves. And, of course, keep reading. I'm not telling you not to read, of course. But you have to remember, what is it true about God? What do I know about God? This is what this psalmist did here in Psalm 42. He says, he says I remember you, verse 5. 
I can continue. I can, there's much more to be said there, but I need to move on. I said that there's three words. We have this idea of speaking, remembering, and now this idea of asking here. Asking. Verse 42, or verse 9 of 42, he's asking this question. He's saying, why do I go on mourning? And, of course, we've already talked about this. You know, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's asking questions of himself. He's asking and saying, okay, what's really happening here? Do you do that? In times of discouragement and depression, are you willing to ask those questions? Are you willing to, to walk through and say, okay, what's the true source here? What's really happening here? Are you willing to try to reverse engineer this thing and say, okay, well, what was going on in my life? And, and what did I do here? And, and what decisions did I make here? And, and, and what influences are I allowing in my life here? And, and, and that, that could, be, they could be contributing to this. You see, we have to ask questions of ourselves, but a lot of times, we're just too much just content to be carried along with the current of life. Ask these hard questions. But not just of yourself, but ask questions of God as well. Look at verse 2 in verse chapter or Psalm 42. Um, he says, when shall I come and appear before God? Who's he directing that to? I think he's directing that to God. He's saying, well, how come I can't do this? In, in, in verse 9, he says, you know, why have you forgotten me? He's talking to God. Verse 2 of 43, I already pointed this. Why have you rejected me? He's talking to God here. A lot of times we're afraid to ask these questions about God. Can I please, please just liberate you from that freedom? Talk to God. Ask him these questions. Say, God, it feels like you've abandoned me. Why? What, what's going on here? I've prayed for this for so long. Why haven't you answered this? You see, it, it, it's, it's one thing to ask a question because we're seeking his understand, understanding of his plan. It's another thing to, to be angry with God and to throw it in his face. Of course I'm not advocating that. And that's not what's happening here. It's an honest question of God. Ask those questions. Ask questions of yourself. Ask questions of God. Because it is important for this path to joy. So we speak to ourselves. We're remembering what he's done, remembering his word. We're asking questions, and then we lead to this hope. This hope that we have here, we've looked at these verses already, uh, of, of verse 5, verse 11, of 42, of verse 5, of verse 43. He says, hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. You see, this is where we end. We remember, we're coaching ourselves, we're asking questions, but at the end we go back to this idea of, I have to place my hope in God in times of spiritual discouragement or spiritual depression. You see, again, you've heard me say this a number of times, this is where we have to be just absolutely rock solid on believing that God is good and that God is in control. That God is powerful and that God is uh, absolutely good and gracious. You see, you have to have both because, and you've heard me say this before, if God is only good but he's not all powerful, then he has the best intentions for you but he can't do anything about it. But if he's all powerful but he's not all good, then he can do anything and, and orchestrate your life in any way, but it has no bearing on whether it's going to be good or bad for you. He'll be just a mean God. You see, but God in the Bible, the God that we serve, is both good and sovereign, good and in control. I need to bring this to a close, but let me tell you a story. You'll probably remember the story because it's in your Bibles. It's about a man named Joseph. Not Joseph, the earthly adoptive father of Jesus, 
We're talking about Joseph back in the Old Testament. Read about him in Genesis. Joseph had a dream, and he went to his dad and his brothers, and he told them the dream. And the dream was really about how that, if rightly interpreted, that his brothers would bow before him. Joseph was young, right? And all of his older brothers were going to bow down before him. You can imagine how that went over. Didn't go over well. And then he tells a second dream, and then his dad's included in it. And in the patriarchal society of the day, the idea of a father, idea of a parent bowing to children, that never happened. Tremendous honor, shame culture where it was much so that it didn't matter how old the parents got, how old the children got, children always served the parents. In many cultures, that's the way it is today. So when Joseph says, hey, here's the dream, and has Isaac, his father, bowing down before him, that didn't go over well. Joseph goes to meet his brothers. His brothers want to kill him, actually. But through some intervention, they decide they'll just throw him into a pit. Throw him into a pit. We don't read about it in the text later on at the end of Genesis. We get some more details there, and Joseph is actually crying. He's yelling. He's crying out. And no one heard him. No one helped him. In fact, they end up selling him into slavery. Do you think Joseph cried out to God in that pit? I think so. Where was God? I'll tell you where he was. He was absolutely silent. There's Joseph, bottom of a pit. Absolutely cut off, it seems like. God's not listening at all. But you know the end of the story, some of you. You see, if God would have removed Joseph from that pit, if God would have intervened and he said, okay, that's not going to happen, then all of Joseph's families dies because a famine's coming. And God used the whole situation to bring Joseph out and so that then Joseph could be brought into Pharaoh's household. And there's a tremendous story here. And God used him to save really all of the brothers, paradoxically or ironically. All of the brothers got, got saved because of what Joseph did of being in the pit there. And not only that, one of Joseph's brothers was Judah, was the line of the Messiah. That's protected as well. You see, God appeared. He was absolutely silent to Joseph. But yet, the greater plan was working. Joseph didn't know that. Later on, he's going to say, you meant it for evil to his brothers, but God meant it for good. Now, up until this point, maybe some of you are tracking the story. You're saying, okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah okay, that's good. But maybe some of you are kind of, kind of. There's a, there's a nagging question in your head. But couldn't have God done it a different way? Why did Joseph have to go through that? I mean, couldn't he have sent an angel? I mean, couldn't he have done something else here? Why did Joseph have to go through pain? It seems, still seems like God is not a very good God if he's inflicting this pain upon someone in a pit to save this larger story. Surely, if God is all-powerful, he could have done it a different way. How do you answer that? i tell you how you answer that. It's because... I told you the details about Joseph and 
being a little cocky. And then there's a lot more we can get into. We can just see some pride there. You see, simultaneously, while saving the nation and saving the Messianic line, God was stripping Joseph of his pride so that he could be used to save all those things. See, that's what God is doing. And you say, well, okay, so, so great. He's working on Joseph as well. But that seems pretty extreme. He's stripped naked, thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery. What, what if the angel would have come down to the pit? Okay, for some reason, all of your rebuttals involve angels. I don't know why, but they do. So, okay, so what if God were to send an angel to the pit and say, okay, Joseph, you've got to get rid of the pride, and then you can be used by God. Well, here's the thing. Here's a, the pattern that I've noticed, not just in scriptures, but in my own life, is that we learn best by being shown not by being told. You see, all of us, if I were to tell you, you have a problem with greed, what would be your first response to me? How do you see that? How so? No one's going to say, you're right. Thank you for telling me. If I were going to say, you have a problem with, with anger, you would say, now wait a minute, what do you mean by that? You see, we don't respond best by being told of our weaknesses and sin. They have to be shown to us. And that's what God in his graciousness and kindness was doing to Joseph there. You see, we have to see our faults in order for them to believe they exist. But that requires silence on God's part sometimes. So in those times of spiritual depression, those times of discouragement where God seems absent and absolutely quiet, this is why David or whoever, the sons, the sons of Korah, this is why they said hope in God. Know that he is working a plan that is far greater than you can even comprehend, and it, it will be for your good, but it will be for a much larger purpose than just your life as well. And we see that illustrated in the life of Joseph. So, are you talking to yourself or only listening to yourself? Do you remember God's goodness, his covenant, his amazing grace? What, what questions are you asking yourself in God? And are you hoping in God and his goodness and his sovereignty? See, God, he doesn't create evil and sin, but he arranges it and overrules it in such a way that all circumstances, even spiritual depression, with all of its causes, is used for his glory and our good. That's the God we serve. That's why we can hope in God. So if you did these things and remember God's goodness and sovereignty, think how strong you'd be the next round when the next round of spiritual discouragement comes. If, you, if you're hoping in God, remember that. Think of how strong you would be. Think of the power of, that spiritual depression normally has over you. Think about how that would be diminished if we're asking and hoping and remembering and speaking to ourselves.